we would be honored if you would join us. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where we are surviving. We are in quarantine. We are locked away in our bubbles, in our homes, in our closets and basements and everything else, and still thriving as a geek community, as a community at, at large. Uh, but beyond that, we have an exciting guest with us tonight, author Michael Haspel, uh, who has written a really awesome book, which I am not even going to try to describe <laughs> because it is amazing and I don't want to ruin it. Um, so uh, welcome to the show. Yeah, I Thank know you've you been on the much. show before, but I think it's always been, we've, I've always spoken to you while we're at conferences. It's never been a full-blown show before. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So now you get to experience the entire show and all of its craziness and loopholes and wandering conversations and such. Awesome. Uh, so um, first off, let's let's kind of throw out there uh, the name of your book. What's it about? And uh, we'll go from there. Okay. Uh, name of the book is Graveyard Shift, and it is about an immortal pharaoh in modern-day Miami with his vampire partner uh, fighting against an ancient vampire conspiracy. So it's got a little bit of true blood, a little bit of true detective. <laughs> um, it. Yeah, it's werewolves. There are werewolves. There are shapeshifters. There's other vampires. There's all kinds of craziness. So yes. what was the big thing that, that kind of like sparked this for you? That just kicked it off? Um, I wrote this actually some a, a while before True Blood came out. But I was uh, I was thinking about like vampires coming out. Um, and being known in the world because of a blood substitute. So obviously that's, that's the true blood thing, um, the connection there. But then I, I thought to myself, well, what would happen if somebody had engineered the entire thing to get vampires onto the fake blood and then they start poisoning the fake blood supply to like try to start like a war? Um, and that's, that's what really kicked it off. And, I, and then I had a dream that I woke up from the dream. It was a really action-filled dream. I woke up like, wow, that dream was amazing. I couldn't remember anything. All I remembered was one line, and it didn't even make it into the book. <laughs> and oh. the, li the line was, um, I used to kill vampires for the NSA. Now I work vice. So. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and that's kind of how it became a police procedural. You you need to somehow find a way to get that in there in, in another book. Uh, oh, that's yeah, that yeah. is an awesome line. Um, <laughs> but I had a very similar experience where I woke up, you know, uh, writing my first book, and I had the first you know the first line in my my head, and I'm like, the whole book has to be around that. Um, mine still got to stay in the book, but yeah, it it took that one line, and that's where the rest of the book came from. So yeah, awesome. it's it's pretty crazy. But I don't remember my dream either. Yeah. But yep. I had something. So, uh, you know, like we mentioned, uh, Mike is a huge gamer, and we've been talking a lot about gaming stuff lately. Um, so we brought him on not only to talk about his book, which you should buy because it is awesome, and it has some really cool characters, but uh, also because he's got some really cool experiences and unique experiences beyond our own that we'd like to, to include in our conversation. So... Um, let, let's kind of jump into it. I'm going to pull up what we have here. All right. Um, you know, what editions or what RPGs have you played before? Oh my D and D obviously. And yeah. if I go back way, way back, star frontiers, um, 
if you guys remember that. <laughs> that was like TSR sci-fi. Yeah. Uh, sci-fi one, Traveler. Um, w- was it, uh, I think it's Twilight 2000. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a lot of GURPS, uh, just varying flavors of GURPS. Uh, oh, GURPS. Yeah, we had like a Horse Clans campaign, and this is a series that has not uh, aged well. I found it. I found that series and I was like, oh my God, I love these. And I started reading them and I was like, ooh, they would not see the light of day now. They're they're really problematic, <laughs> to put it mildly. But we played a really long, like it lasted three years or something, Horse Clans campaign that was really fun uh, in GURPS. And then uh, recently I played a lot of Fate um, and, uh, and just D&D again, just kind of circled back around. Loving it. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to observe how games have evolved, especially now that the internet exists and so we can access all of this media, all this written record that maybe may not have been available in past generations to see the way that we oh, are yeah. evolving culturally. Yeah. Yeah, it's really oh, and of course I I can't I, I'll I'll catch uh, I'll catch trouble if I don't mention this. Warhammer 40k, Rogue Trader. Um, and you know, the, uh, the whole, uh, inquisition and all that stuff. I played those games too. The, nice. the old fantasy flight ones. I haven't played the new wrath and glory version, but the fantasy flight versions, I did play those. Okay. <clears throat> so how has, you know, playing these various games, um, over the years impacted your ability to, you know, to write as, as a writer, because I'm sure it's, you know, for me, it played a part. Uh, has it played a part in your storytelling ability? Oh yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, the the one example I can throw out that's just perfect is I had a scene where my uh, my hero in Graveyard Shift is an immortal mummy. Uh, I say Pharaoh because when I say mummy, people imagine all the wrappings and everything, right? And he's not yeah. like that. He can pass for human. So, but he's, because of that, he's kind of immortal. He's he's very hard to damage. Uh, and he went in, I have a scene where he goes in to take out these bad guys in a bodega. And he just went in and handled business. You know, like just, it was just really easy. And my critique group was like, well, this was a cool scene, but it completely lacked tension. It didn't like, why did it matter? It's kind of like, you know, Superman going in there. It doesn't matter. Um, so I was just like, all right. So I, I have incorporated fate dice when I write. And when I'm not entirely sure what's going to happen, I go, well, I'm just going to roll f- some fate dice four fate dice and figure out what's going on so it just and that way i don't need a whole system and stats and everything so i just rolled them and it honestly came up four negatives so <laughs> so i was just like well he can't die uh, obviously but we just had everything else go wrong so he goes to like open the door and he smashes into the door, but the door doesn't open. So now, of course, he's like alerted everyone in the room that he's trying to like bash his way in. Uh, everything went just horribly wrong. He drops his gun. Uh, he winds up getting grabbed and just bar- barely narrowly escaping instead of going in and handling business. And it made for a way better scene. Uh, because there was a lot of tension. It was just like, hey, wait a minute. We thought this guy was Superman, and it turns out he's not. You know, (laughs) he's he's a a lot more bumbling because, and the way I sold it in the book was that he got really overconfident. I love it. And yeah, and just fumbled, (laughs) critical fumbles. (laughs) 
man, I need to I need to incorporate fake dice in my writing. That sounds awesome. Yeah. So so for our listeners out there who haven't heard of fake dice before, uh, Mike, can you explain to us, you know, oh, what sure. fake dice are and how you use them, why you love them? Yeah, they're just a a D6, you know, a six-sided die that looks like a normal six-sided die, but instead of having, you know, numbers 1 through 6 on them, they have uh, two pluses, two minuses, and two blanks. And in the game, uh, in the role-playing game, Fate, they have kind of a ladder when you attempt to do something, and the ladder goes from four negatives to four positives and everything in between. And it tells you how you succeeded or didn't succeed. So if it was like four blanks, basically nothing happens. It's just your normal average thing. But then by having negatives or positives, obviously they would cancel each other out. But it just, uh, when, when you roll these, you have to just start asking yourself, well, how, how could this affect what I'm trying to do? This is what the character is trying to do. And, uh, I just rolled a negative. So if it's just one negative, maybe he, maybe it's not a big deal. Maybe he tripped or stepped on a stick, made a noise when he wasn't trying to make a noise. Um, and it didn't go horribly, you know, but if it's like, you know, four positives, then yeah, maybe, maybe the guys inside surrender, but that doesn't make for good, for good fiction. So, <laughs> yeah. so I tend to like throw the really positive stuff out and skew it towards the negative. Awesome. Yeah. There are, there are some similar systems. I, uh, for example, the fantasy flight, uh, star Wars role-playing games that are out right yeah. now. I love that concept of each side rolling their dice. And even if you succeed, something bad could happen. Even if you fail, something wonderful could happen. And, yeah. uh, you know, fate dice do exactly the, the same thing, being able to create situational tension that allows the story to evolve beyond just a simple pass, fail, yes, no, good, bad. Yeah. yeah. And, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know. Go, go ahead. Yeah. I, I like to bring up, and we were on a panel uh, at, uh, um, at Fanex where we talked about like what happens when you roll a one. And one of my favorite sequences, and I'm sure everybody's favorite sequence in the fellowship of the ring happens because Pippin critical fumbles in the films, you know, he's like, it's like, well, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to inspect this arrow that's sitting inside this dwarven skeleton. You critical fumble and knock the skeleton in the well and wake up all of Moria. You know what I mean? Um, so I think kind of, especially in fiction, good things happen when things go wrong. So yeah. yeah, it's like, it's like everybody can see stuff go right, but then you wind up, you know, with a, with an unfulfilling character and an unfulfilling story. Well, I was going to say, I think that's why Indiana Jones is such a lovable character, why everyone loves him because, you know, he's this amazing swashbuckling character, but he screws up all the time. Oh yeah. You yeah. know, there's the scene, you know, uh, in Raiders of the Lost Ark where he's up against this massive guy and he throws a punch and he literally kind of stumbles backwards like, uh, that was supposed to work. Yeah. Uh, you know, and he gets a crap beat out of him. But we all cheer more for Indy for that happening. You know, even in um, The Last Crusade when he's on that tank and he's getting his back chewed up by the, the tank treads, we're still rooting for him because – he, you know, we can relate to getting beat up and getting knocked down, but he keeps getting back up. And I think that really makes for a really good relatable story. And I've noticed a lot more uh, 
storytelling-based systems have that success and failure intermingled together. You can still win while having something bad happen. Right, um, right. You can still have something really bad happen and still sneak by um, at the same time. So I, I, I really like those components, and they, I think they give her a better story um, in the game. And I mean, I, I've never thought of using dice while writing. So I, I think I may have to incorporate that now. Yeah. And I don't do it all the time. I'll do it when I get into a scene and I know how the scene, I know how I want, I want it to end, mm-hmm. but, but I don't know exactly how things, I, I wrote a recent story, a Lovecraftian based story where my character is kind of this, uh, he was kind of an ex special forces guy, like a retired special forces guy turned academic and he's crawling into this little spider hole. And, and it occurred to me, I was like, who in their right mind would actually do this? <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and I rolled, I rolled for it and he chickened out. He was just like, yeah, I'm not doing this. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I had to find a different way. Um, and the beta readers I had reading that said that was the most intense part of the story, not the part with the monsters or anything, but the fact that this like former green beret guy was just like, okay, this is, this is not smart. Like, let's get out of here. Yeah. Um, they were just like, wow, that's really bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. No, I mean, I, I could see there. I mean, there's been points when I've been writing where it's like, oh man, I know where I want to go, but I just don't know how to get there. Mm-hmm. And so incorporating that's kind of, that's, it's a fun idea because you can kind of, you leave it up to chance, but you're still creatively coming up with a story, but at least you have some points, that, you know, whether it's positive or negative that you can then push into that. Yeah. Yeah. And you just shape it. Yeah. So like a lump of clay. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, Josh, you got any questions? Or do we... Josh looks like he's run into some technical problems there. The the joys of internet, but Alton, you probably have something. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a a lot of authors and and we speak a lot. um, Dan recently, for example, we, we did an interview with him and we talked a lot about kind of the things that guide us into our particular writing styles, our particular storytelling styles. And what are some of the key influences for you that you feel have enabled you to have a better voice as a writer and to tell more compelling stories? Ooh, wow. Yeah, that's tough. Um, uh, I would definitely say Tolkien. He was like just a massive, massive influence. Um, even when, when Tolkien's not an influence, it is because a lot of the stuff I grew up reading was, you know, Dragonlance and all the all the D and D books and and stuff like that. So, um, so that that shadow of Tolkien hangs over. But when when I write fantasy, uh, and I have tried to write fantasy, I I try to intentionally steer away from the Tolkien esque kind of elves, dwarves, stuff like that. Um, another big influence is, and and folks might be surprised by this, but it's H.P. Lovecraft. Um, I absolutely adore H.P. Lovecraft. By modern standards, his sentence structure is abhorrent. It's terrible (laughs) because he throws like 35 adjectives (laughs) to to describe something he can't describe, right? It's always unspeakable or unnameable or whatever. But I absolutely adore how he builds atmosphere, how he, he can use language just to shape things and make things oppressively creepy. 
and just, I don't, I don't want to be here anymore. And I remember like the first time I read whisper in darkness, I remember stopping when, when the guy's listening to the record of the wax cylinder or something of the ritual that's going on in the woods, I remember just stopping and putting the book down and just, I couldn't take it. <laughs> I was just like, should I even be reading this? I was like, this is, this is over the top. It's, it's unbelievable. Nice. So I really like that. Um, and I've been trying to work my way through Ray Bradbury because he does, he does so much with short stories and that's kind of my weakness is short stories. So I'm trying to explore short form, how to manipulate, how to, especially, um, especially first sentences. Cause Jonathan Mayberry, um, I was lucky enough to, to just kind of corner him and, and talk to him for some advice. And he, he just reemphasized, we all know how important the first sentence is, but he reemphasized that he was, if he was reading a short story and the first sentence did absolutely hook him, that's where he stopped. He didn't give you a paragraph. He gave you a sentence. Oh, wow. You know, often it's the case that when, especially when we have authors on the show, I like to ask this question. It's often the case that when you're writing a character, it is a reflection or a portion of who you Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm guessing he's saying of who you are. Uh, yeah, so Krebs is having some difficulties at the moment. Um, uh, I guess we'll pick up when he returns. Yeah, we can um, just hang that's okay. Uh, this is awesome. Yeah, this works actually really well. Yeah, no, it has worked really well. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I think everyone's on Skype right now, you know, collecting yeah. with one another. Yeah. So um, I might yeah. have to restart my system. Do you <laughs> so, guys mind if I lead in that question again? No, yeah, go not ahead. at all. Yeah, go for it. I'm going to clap. So one of my favorite things to ask authors is, you know, many of your characters are a reflection of who you are. It's some slice of your persona, but there are also those characters that are the the foil of who you are. Um, which character for you was the easiest and most natural to write, and which character was the hardest for you to write? Okay. Uh, well, in Graveyard Shift, it would be Marcus was the easiest, and he is a Roman former governor who's become a cop and. Uh, He's been involved in all kinds of covert actions and all this stuff over, over the years. And that's um, it, basically his main motivation is duty. Um, so that's close. That's closest to me because I'm a former military and I went to the Air Force Academy and did all this stuff out of duty. So I stuck to um, all that stuff. The other, the other two characters are um, Runa who is a female shapeshifter and just a, a, a horrible, like straight up killer and, and Mankara, who is the immortal Pharaoh. And he is a reflection of kind of me, but all the things I wish I could get away with. <laughs> like he's very, very cynical and he's very uh, apathetic about everything. And, and Runa is just kind of like just the raw, like the id, I would say you know, um, of the character. So she, she just does, she's very animalistic and just does whatever kind of comes to mind her first impulse. You know, it's really interesting as I'm hearing you talk about this. And as I've heard you talk about, um, some of your, your inspirations earlier, I noticed that you tend to focus a lot on kind of the feel of things. 
uh, you've used words like visceral and animalistic, that kind of internal driving mm -hmm. force. Uh, do you find that that kind of tempo finds itself or flows into your stories? Yeah, I would say so. Like that's, that's what I concentrate on. Um, when, when I write, I don't, I don't kind of have a feeling of, or I don't have a plot idea generally until I sit down. I am a plotter. I do sit down and outline everything and plot it out. But, um, but I go by the feeling, like I want this scene. I want the reader to feel this in this scene. Like they should feel that this is amazing or this, they should feel scared or they should feel this. And that's kind of what drives what I go for. Um, with that. And then I, I just work the characters around that. And then the plot part comes last. <laughs> nice. Wow. I love that. No, I like it too. Cause uh, you know, we all go to movies and read books for that, that emotion, that tension. Uh, you know, if you're reading a book that's supposed to be a thriller and you don't feel that tension building, you're, you're going to set it aside. You're not going to continue reading it. Same yeah. thing with a movie. Um, so I like the fact you focus on that and, you know, it definitely showed in, in, uh, graveyard shift, uh, you know, even more so with Michael Kramer reading it. I mean, Oh yeah. He, he just, <laughs> he just he delivers that job. tension in his voice and the way he does things. It was, it was just so fantastic. Um, you know, I, I had the book open as he was reading it and I'm just like, Oh my gosh, this is so much better. Yeah. Not that the book wasn't bad at all no, it no. just made it so much more intense and so more amazing so uh, i i have an interesting perspective from that because um you know we all know about imposter syndrome and yeah. how you basically just don't think that you're worth anything so i had had um i got my i i was lucky enough that audible released the audiobook at the same time as the hardcover came out um which doesn't always happen so i was very lucky that that happened and, um, when they released the, the, I had the hardcover proof in my hand already and I read it, but I'd already read it probably 80 times. I mean, I was just like, ah, it doesn't mean anything anymore. Mm -hmm. And I'm key. I still fight in typos and it just irks me and all this stuff. And, uh, and then I heard they released like 10 minutes of Michael Kramer reading the first chapter, uh, just to use for promotional purposes. And I heard the first 10 minutes and just burst into tears because to me, hearing those words, and I don't know if it used a different part of my brain or his delivery or what, I went, wow, this is really good. I'm actually a writer. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I wasn't a fake anymore. That actually drove it home that, wow, this is really good. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, that, so, that shift from feeling like an imposter to finally feeling like, wow, I'm, I am actually a writer is it's a fantastic feeling. Um, but everyone has it differently. Uh, just yeah. like everyone arrives to being a writer differently. Um, so I mean, yeah, hearing him that first chapter, just the starting of the book, just amazing. And what so, was really cool about it is I didn't get to give him any, uh, any like instruction. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So I was just like, I put together this whole thing and I was waiting for audible to contact me so I could say, well, this is a pronunciation guide and this is how, how I kind of want it to sound. And my agent goes, Oh, there's kind of bad news. Cause they have a running time, which means it's recorded. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, Oh no, you know? Yeah. And then I heard it and it was just perfect. It That's was amazing. absolutely perfect. 
I love it. And and so many so many people just strive for and look for that moment. Uh, I know more than one time I've sat down to try to write something and just run into a wall, run into a wall, run into a wall. And and many of our listeners out there, I'm sure, have experienced this type of thing too. What was one of those low moments for you that you had to fight through and get past? Because clearly you've produced something wonderful. Uh, I hope you know it. <laughs> we know it. And the audience who has yet to listen to it will soon find out that they know it too. But you had to have gotten through some things to get to this point. What was one of those uh, low lights for you? There was a lot of rocky roads with this book. I wrote it in 2009. Um, and then, and what's crazy is I, I quit my day job um, to write this book. And I just said, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to do this and it's going to be awesome. And I'm going to be this huge success and I'll be Kevin Anderson in two days. And, and, uh, I won't need any money. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, that was a harsh wake up call. So I wrote the book and I went and, and I went to, uh, I, I had done several drafts of it. I mean, I knew enough not to go, well, my first draft is gold, you know. But I went to this uh, Rocky Mountain Fiction Writers Conference, and I highly recommend any aspiring writers seek out the local writers conference and go there. It's like a master's degree course over a weekend, but it's totally worth it. Um, I went I went to the Rocky Mountain Fiction Writers Conference, and I went to a panel uh, by Kristen Nelson called uh, How to Avoid the Slush Pile. And she made everybody kind of swear on their right hands that they weren't going to quit writing. And I was just like, what's going on? And then what she did for two hours is they brought people's stories that they would, she would read the first page and she would tell you where as an agent she would have stopped reading or if she would have requested it. And it was absolutely brutal. And she threw out some of the numbers that people had and everything. And I, I left that day and didn't know if I was going to go back. I was just like, I don't think I want to go back to this conference. It's really bad news. Uh, it's really low. And then I, the next day I got up and went back, you know, and, uh, I think that was a big turning point for me because I realized that, okay, what I have is totally not sellable. It's not garbage. It's not worthless. But all I have is like the raw pulp. I I don't have a book yet. I just have a collection of like wood pulp with some words on it. (laughs) (laughs) And I need a lot of craft to work. And so I got my first, uh, I got a verbal deal in 2011 and the book wasn't published until 2017. It took a long, long time. Um, and throughout all that, there were a lot of ups and downs. I wrote some other books that didn't get picked up, uh, that I'm trying, some of them I will revisit others I read and I was like, Oh, I totally understand why this is, why this didn't get picked up. Um, it just doesn't work, you know, and it's not even worth like polishing. It's just, okay, well that was a, that's a trunk novel now. (laughs) No one will ever see that one. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's, I can just picture you you know, getting into that, going through, pushing hard, cranking out your drafts, going in, sitting down and listening to somebody go through other manuscripts and going, oh, well, I, th- I think that's pretty good so far. And, and then she puts it down and says, and yeah, here well, is why it sucks. Yeah. And one of them was mine. 
So you could you could oh. submit pages. And so I just was like, hey, read mine, you know, and I'm thinking in my head, it's going to be like, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing I've ever written or ever read. I, I want a full request for a full manuscript right now. Right. And then she just reads it and is like, well, the first round, the first line makes me not want to read further. This is this. This is this. This is this. I get no feel for characterization. I don't know what genre this is. I was like. Holy crap. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for, for sticking true to your word there and continuing. I think there's a a lot of good things coming next. Mm -hmm. Hopefully. So what do you do for downtime? Cause I mean, being, being a writer, being creative all the time, um, you kind of, yeah, creative creativity gets burnt out. It, yeah. What do you use to kind of rejuvenate yourself? Um, well, gaming. That's that's my big outlet. Um my the majority of my time is spent on Warhammer 40K. Um either painting miniatures or assembling models or converting models. I don't actually play that much anymore. I just don't okay. I don't have the time. Uh I used to play competitively at the national level. Um but I can't keep up with it anymore. So when I go to these tournaments now, I wind up becoming very frustrated because I used to be really good, but now I can't invest the time anymore to, and people just like break out combinations that I don't even see coming. And I'm like, Oh, well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I, I've scaled back the actual gaming quite a bit, the actual playing, but I still paint the figures and collect them and, and assemble them and everything. Nice. Yeah. Um, are are there other forms of gaming that you indulge in? I mean, you you do Warhammer, which is a very particular kind of yeah. tabletop physical gaming, right? Yeah. Um, are there other forms of gaming that you indulge in? Uh, computer games. I play a lot of PC games in particular, um, and not a whole lot of multiplayer games. Although I'm a sucker for Overwatch. Uh, I've, <laughs> I play a lot of Overwatch and lately, uh, the, the, uh, I think it's Activision, right? Put out Call of Duty, uh, Warzone. And that has just like, yes. eaten up all my time because <laughs> it's like, it's eaten as up battle, a lot of time. As Battle Royale g- games go, Warzone is pretty intense and, and pretty rewarding and it's yeah. free to play and it's on all these different platforms all at once where you get li- a lot of cross play. So that's pretty awesome. Um, is there, you know, for me, video gaming and playing a single player narrative is such a unique, uh, media based experience that, that, that actually like draws me in and gives me, you know, elicits an emotional reaction. Oh yeah. Is there a single player narrative that you have played through that had a massive impact on you, on your imagination, on your style yeah. of writing, all that stuff. What was a game that really impacted you as a player? Yeah. And it's interesting. You should use that term massive because it, it's easy. It's mass effect. Um, <laughs> I own probably more N seven gear than, than most people would think. And I can <laughs> think of several times where, that game just elicited an emotional response from me where I either kind of felt myself tearing up over a computer game or over, especially in the, in mass effect Two, the suicide mission, when you've cultivated a relationship with somebody and they, and see, I'm like choking up right now, just thinking about <laughs> it and they, they died 
you know, in the suicide mission. And I was just like, but that's not supposed to happen. We're doing everything right. Well, sometimes you can do everything right and people still get killed. And I thought the game did a really, really fantastic job right up until the last five minutes of Mass Effect 3. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm so upset by that that the other day, and my brother brother just laughs at me, but he feels the pain too. Um, I was listening to Spotify and Das Mali Feats came on. And that's the song that's used at the end, over the end credits of Mass Effect 3. And I was right back there. And I was like, man, this game's powerful. That was eight years ago. And I'm still feeling it like, like it just happened. Um, it was such a good story. It, it was just amazing. And, and I'm frustrated by going, wow, you guys had the best potential. And for, but for these five minutes, like I, I almost would have wished I'd never finished the game. <laughs> <laughs> when, when you consider the most intense moments of, of that series, of what is currently a trilogy and is threatening to become a, a quadrilogy, tetralogy? Well, I anyway. guess it is quadrilogy because they have Andromeda, but I didn't play That's it. true. That's true. Yeah. Um, when you consider the most intense moments, the ones that impacted you specifically, have those moments or have those experiences worked their way into your narrative, into your work? Uh, not Not specifically. But again, um, I, I would think that they would in a little bit because, again, it was like, what, is, what does it feel like? It wasn't just it, like um, on the, the, whole, uh, the whole Krogan cure sequence, you know, um, with the Turians and everything like that. I was just like, I mean, half of it is a cutscene, and you're just, you're just like holding your breath going, what? Like, this is... Uh, that cutscene is better than the finale of whole other games, but it's because of the emotion. It's because of the feeling, not because of the, you know, of the graphics or the effects or the, the explosions or whatever. It's because you cared about these characters and, um, and they, they tugged at your emotions. They played with your emotions, even when you can recognize the tropes. And you can go, oh, this Rachni Queen trope. I know where this is coming from. I know where they stole that from. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, or since Scott Card might want a word with them, but uh, <laughs> but it's it just feels it. It's the feeling of it, you know. Um, and and it's it's kind of the same with Overwatch. Um, I was a I was a player of Overwatch for about a year and a half. Uh, and people are going to think I'm stupid before I found out that there were comic books and stories that were behind the characters. So I was talking to a friend of mine and they were talking about tracer and they're like, Oh yeah, tracers, this and this and this. And I'm like, how do you know all that stuff? Like that's not in the game. And they're, and, Oh, there's all these videos on YouTube. I was like, well, they're fan made or no, they're made by blizzard. And I was like, what? And like went down a huge rabbit hole but these stories can create, they pull at the emotion and they do it in five minutes. Um, the ones I would recommend to, to listeners is go seek out the Overwatch Reinhardt video and the one with Bastion. The one with Bastion is, I think, better than most stuff Pixar puts out. And it's like five minutes long. That it's five a, minutes long. <laughs> that's a that glowing recommendation, recommendation right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
it's amazing. It hits all the story beats, hits the emotional tugs, everything. And you're just like, well, that lasted five minutes. That's, it's unbelievable what they're able to do. So do you find, um, because I, I spend a lot of time in the gaming world, right? Um, and, and do you find that you see parallels between story beats and game beats? Do you try? To, do you see kind of repeating patterns or rhythms, uh, things that kind of drive both in similar ways? And if so, how do you tie those together in your head? Yeah, um, I do actually, and especially when I'm GMing more than when I'm playing. And I think it's a matter of control because when I'm GMing, I can go, okay, we've got two or three hours to play, and I and instinctively go okay the low point's going to happen in an hour and a half that's the belly of the whale and then we're going to just start climbing back up and i got to end this session on a cliffhanger or no one's going to everyone's going to make an excuse the next time and they're going to miss the session <laughs> so i got to end it on a cliffhanger um so i kind of use the hero's journey quite a bit i also use um um and I don't remember, I don't know what it's really called. It's a trope. I, I've heard it called the five man band before. Um, and yeah, it kind of, yeah, it's like, um, so if you like look at an ensemble group as like a band, so you'd have like the lead singer, the lead, lead guitarist, the drummer, the keyboardist, and then whoever's holding the tambourine. And the way they like kind of break it down is the, the main person, the lead singer is the hero, uh, the, the uh, lead guitarist would be kind of a, almost a foil character, but a second in command that doesn't, that complements the hero. The drummer is the big guy, you know, the muscle, the tank. And then the, uh, the uh, uh, keyboardist is the smart guy. And then the tambourine player is the heart. So if you can kind of get your party to fit that, it generally works really well. And, uh, so I'll point out like, Hey, somebody needs to be a cleric or somebody needs to be support. Like you can't all be the tank, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or it doesn't work. Well, you can make it fun and still make it work, but then you have to make them pay for not taking a cleric. <laughs> yes. So as somebody uh, with a foot in both worlds, um, I, I do have kind of a strange question. Okay. So um, if you are speaking as an author to gamers, right? What advice do you have for a gamer who wants to tell better stories? And if you're speaking as a gamer to authors, what do you want to tell authors who desire to run better games? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, as an author speaking to gamers, I would say, um, especially to the game master, know where you want to end know where you want to end and then have an alternate ending because we all know that, <laughs> that you're going to be like, I spent, I spent two weeks drawing up everybody in this kingdom and everything. And now they want to talk to the owner of the inn in town for an hour. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, it's like have, have alternate endings where you can know where, where things will end. Um, but also try to make, try to make sure every player has an arc um, because if they start off, if everybody's like not trying to, and, and this is something I actually like about, uh, about fate 
is they have the trouble. They have the high concept and they have the trouble. And the trouble is, you know, the, the, uh, well, we'll use like, like say Firefly because I got that flag behind me. So it's like the, the high concept is smuggler with a heart of gold for Mal, right? And then it's like the trouble would be wanted by the Alliance. So you have to, he, they have to be working towards solving something yeah. and not just going on the adventure, but something internal, something meaningful. Uh, and then from the other spe- perspective, which was gamers, what was it? Gamers trying to tell authors how to tell better yes. stories. Or, okay. So, um, so you have the two perspectives. You've already addressed um, the gamers who want to tell better stories. Now, how would you address authors who want to build better games? Build better games. Um, wow. Yeah, that one's really hard. Um I would say uh, to the authors, play more games because I have read some, I have read some supplements where you can be clear that the, this person doesn't know how the game is played. Yeah. Um, they, they put out something and you're just like, yeah, they don't get it. Uh, so at least, at least play more, uh, especially RPGs and stuff like that so that you know what it is and you're not just writing flavor text. You're actually writing something somebody can use. And those also have different levels. So some, you know, the more advanced stuff may just need a prompt and your game master can go off of that. But some of the other stuff might be, might be, you need to like have the person almost read verbatim. So know, know what your target is. And then I would say, play, play the game system a bit (laughs) so that you know how it's going to work. Nice. Now, uh, so Graveyard Shift is not in any way a role-playing game, but it should be. I mean, it it is that amazing. But in the meantime, until it becomes one, you know, as the author and as a game player, what are some game systems out there that you think would best complement being able to play your book or the setting of your book? Um. I'm trying to think of the name of it. Uh, it's I think it's called Spies and Assassins or something. Um, I'm not entirely sure. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Uh, I would recommend, honestly, GURPS. Um, okay. GURPS or Fate. Uh, if you have this old, old system sitting around, you could use Top Secret. <laughs> yeah, Top Secret. Be- because it is ultimately kind of, it's more than vampires and werewolves and mummies. It's more of a spy kind of thriller game with supernatural elements. Actually, uh, Top Secret, they just re-released. Really? Um, yeah. Oh, uh, the original uh, Merle, oh, what's his name? I, oh, man. I remember we, we interviewed him a, a while back. Um, they actually re-released it. Uh, they got the licensing from, you know, TSR and everything. Uh, Merle Rasmussen, that's his name. Yeah. I'm going to need to go check that out because I I used to love that. I will have to send you the the link, um, once I find it. But yeah, they, they, uh, they brought that back. So that would actually be a really cool setting for it. Yeah. Is the game, is the game that you were trying to think of earlier, is it called Ninjas and Super Spies? Yes, that's it. (laughs) So, so you just... You just hit me in the center in the center mass because uh, ninjas and super spies is made by Palladium. 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I, well, I love a Palladium. Huge Palladium. Obviously, yeah. you know all that the Pathfinder, Starfinder, all that stuff. I I adore. Um, I haven't played Starfinder though. Um, I want to. And it's like I every time somebody's like, "Oh, let's play this," they they wind up using like Traveler or something, <laughs> something different. <laughs> nice. Okay. Well, I mean. All good suggestions. Uh, kind of circling back because we're slowly running out of time. But um, Graveyard Shift, it's available now. It's on audiobook. We've already talked about yep. that. Michael Kramer reads it. Um, if you have no clue who Michael Kramer is, you probably do because he's pretty much read every Brandon Sanderson novel to date. Yeah. Uh, fantastic reader. Um, it's hardback and ebook. Uh, so, hardback ebook and paperback yeah, and paperback yeah. there's, there's just no way you can't get a copy of this book it's out there it's available uh tour publishing has put it out uh fantastic cover fantastic story it's available on amazon barnesandnoble.com pretty much every bookstore i'm assuming you can just yeah, walk in and get it yeah. if it's not there you can order it uh you should get a copy i mean if you love mummies if you love vampires if you love uh, werewolves if you love a good spy detective novel this has everything for all of you fans it's just it's perfect it's a great read um and you won't put it down and, and the best part is we're quarantined so hey why not be reading a book yeah so order it now wait two and a half months clean the cover once you receive it use gloves <laughs> wear a mask and enjoy Actually, um, looking on Amazon, I was actually looking at it. I could have it by, you know, uh, in three days. So they're they're still putting some books out pretty quickly. So, well, books are essential materials. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, so if you're finding yourself bored, you've ran out of things to watch on Netflix and Disney Plus and your video collection, or you just want to be able to sit out in the sunshine and read and read something while sitting in a hammock under a tree. I'm not trying to prompt anyone to do that. So, <laughs> pick up this book. It's an awesome book. You'll love it. I love how you became increasingly more specific. <laughs> I was waiting for like the the yellow drink with a pink umbrella, and you no, have no, no, to no. be wearing flip flops. No, when the spring I'm in my breeze rustling your hair. <laughs> when I'm sitting in my hammock, I have a glass of ice cold lemonade. Sorry, I, I didn't want to go that far. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's there's nothing more to, there's nothing better sitting in a hammock underneath a tree on a nice warm day, reading a book, drinking something you like, and just in getting lost in the pages. It's it's amazing, especially when you have a good book. So, um, wow. I mean, we've kind of gone a little bit of everywhere. We've gone to Moria. We've come back. We've talked about critical fumbling. We've talked about game systems, this, that, and everything else. Um, where where else do we go? I mean, we, we talked about Mass Alton? Effect, Overwatch. I know we yeah. kind of hit Even, a little bit of everything. We reached Palladium at the end, and I'm just <laughs> cannot tell you how happy I am. Talked, and I apologize about, for right? not remembering the name of that. You're fine. You know, we've talked about uh, Dragonlance. We've talked about Firefly. I think we've hit almost every geek m nerve out there. I yeah. mean. It's it's like we need to drop the mic and just walk away at this point. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't drop Mike. He's been a wonderful guest. I know, I know, I know. No. Uh, so is there anything else you need to plug or that yeah, you want to throw in at the last second? Is there anything 
plug. I know you you have a show as well. Oh yeah, you guys can find me, but there's a Warhammer 40k specific podcast called The Long War. Um, and we do a live webcast and podcast on Wednesday nights on Twitch and YouTube. And then I have my own kind of storytelling podcast called QFD quantum froth dispatches. That's what it stands for. Um, and it's, there's a whole story behind that, (laughs) but I do deep dives on, um, nerd movies like Conan the Barbarian and Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Uh, and right now, what we're kind of exploring in our first season, and when I say we, it's it's just me. I don't know why I say we. <laughs> but we're exploring in their first season is what was in the water in 1982. Because in 1982, we got like the thing. We got Blade Runner. We got Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. We got um, Cat People. We got... Uh, Conan the Barbarian. We got like a, a slew of movies that are now considered classics. E.T. is another one. So it's like, what was going on? What was happening in the zeitgeist that gave us these movies that now they're they're kind of starting to resurface, but we're seeing them because the filmmakers of today are remembering the films that they loved when they were young. So that's why we're getting stranger things and the new, the new series that's on Amazon that I can't remember the name. Tales from the loop. Yes. Tales from the loop and guardians of the galaxy. That's very much rooted in that time, you know, (laughs) and everything. So it's like, well, what's go, what was going on, you know? And, and I'm, I don't really have an answer. It's just kind of me just exploring different things. And so I've got a, uh, I've got one coming up that I'm starting to record now about my favorite film of all time, which is Raiders of the Lost Ark, which did not come out in 1982. It came out in 1981, but I'm cheating because it was re-released in 1982. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, it counts. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, I'm just just looking at stuff, you know, like Beastmaster came out in 82. Um, We have The Secret of Nim, Dark Crystal. Yes. Yeah. Um, You know. I, and I know this doesn't fit the theme, but even the best little whorehouse in Texas with Burt Reynolds <laughs> and Dolly Parton came out in 82. It is memorable. Re, you know, Swamp Thing, uh, Death Wish, uh, you know, Steve Martin's Dead Men, Don't Wear Plaid. Yeah. Classic. Uh, Sword and Sorcerer. Uh, I mean, there is this really amazing list of movies that came out in 82. The Man from Snowy River. Um, oh my, this just keeps going on. The toy, yeah. <laughs> the toy <laughs> with Jackie Gleason and uh, Richard Pryor, Richard Pryor. Night, yeah, night shift with Henry Winkler. Yeah. I mean, the list just keeps going on. Uh, Tootsie, I mean, who can yeah. get Tootsie with Dustin Hoffman? Um, it, uh, it's, it's kind of amazing when you think about it. Fast times at Ridgemont High. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I can keep reading. Um, yeah, there's just a slew of them, and you're just like, wow, what happened? As opposed to now, well, and it's going to get worse, I fear, but now yeah. everything's a sequel or a franchise. Yeah. Or um, a reboot. Or a yeah. reboot. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like we've kind of gone away from creativity, uh, especially when it comes to movie. I think we've kind of talked about it a little bit here and there. Uh, it seems like Hollywood has turned from making great movies and telling great stories to what puts money in our pockets. You know, um, I was reading an article the other day, Sean Connery, about Sean Connery, and one of the deciding factors that had him retire and walk away from uh, being an actor was he's like, there just isn't any more good stories coming out. 
know, things are being recycled, things are being rebooted. And he, he was done with that. Um, they almost had him come back for Indiana Jones, but it just, it didn't feel right. But, um, and that's the only thing he said that would bring him out of retirement and it wasn't good enough. So oh, it's just wow. really interesting where, you know, we are seeing that, you know, they're, they're talking about rebooting old movies from the past. You know, I know there was talk about rebooting uh, Back to the Future, which I can't imagine that being anything without Michael J. Fox or Christopher Lloyd. Yeah, I don't I don't see how they would do that. Yeah. You know, but, and luckily that th- they decided, you know, well, the the guy that wrote it and that I guess he still has the rights. He's like, there's no way that that's like sl- uh, selling my children into slavery. I'm not doing yeah. it. But the good news for everybody out there is even after Hollywood has burned all of your emotional capital, you can still sit down and listen to Dungeon Crawlers Radio or our good friend Mike Haspel. Yes. It's just been wonderful. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on. This is great. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for coming Pleasure on. to meet you. Um, we will have to uh, we'll have to chat movies. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I know all of us. W- uh, we could gab on and on about movies. I know uh, Krebs particularly would love to talk about Kroll. Uh, yes. oh, <laughs> I love 1983, Kroll. but yes. Wait, yeah. wait, yeah. do you like Kroll? I actually do like Kroll. Yeah, yes. it has yes. a special yes. place in my heart, especially <laughs> the Cyclops' story. Oh, oh yeah, Rel. Oh, <laughs> yes. We should have a crawl episode. Can I just put that in there right now? Can we have yeah. a crawl episode? Sure. We can awesome. devote everything a just to crawl, and we'll bring Michael back so we can just. Talk I got this. That. I got yeah. this. That would that would be it. That would be an awesome show. The crawl episode. Just leave it at that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it it covers everything: storytelling, gaming, Liam Neeson. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the glaive. The true right. hero of that film. Yes. <laughs> the real MVP. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, uh, Mike Haspel, thank you so very much for being on Dungeon Crawlers. Uh, your book, Graveyard Shift, uh, sounds amazing. I've got to get my hands on it. Uh, is it uh, is it part of a series or is it right now? Is it a standalone story? It is right now a standalone story, but I do have a whole series and whole world built around it. And there'll be stuff, more stuff coming out. Some of them in short stories, some of them in novellas, and then other novels. So we can expect more from this universe and from this mythos. Yes, yes. Excellent. I'm excited now. Thank you (laughs) very kindly. Thank you so very much for being on the show. Thanks. Thanks very much for having me. All right, folks. So with that said, we've wrapped up another amazing show. Uh, tune in next week where we'll we'll do something amazing. I don't know what it is quite yet, but it will be amazing. Uh, and uh, check out, get your copy. No, we're not going to say check out. Just go get your copy of Grave- Graveyard Ship now. Enjoy it while you still can. And with that said, we're out of here. And friends, tell your story, whatever may come. And always remember, be epic. Don't suck. Remember, the force will be with you always. Dungeon Crawler.